Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture today is Mark chapter 2, verse 23 to chapter 3, verse 6. And I encourage you to pause this and read that if you haven't already done so. So we're going through Mark's gospel. And what we began to see last week is that Jesus' actions are bringing him into deeper and deeper conflict with the religious leaders. Remember, Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins, and the religious leaders accused him of blasphemy. It was an offense potentially punishable by death. Um, So the way of Jesus, we see, is putting him at odds with the way of the religious elites. This morning, we see the conflict escalate even more, and the occasion for that escalation is the Sabbath. Jesus and the religious leaders are in conflict over what the Sabbath is about. And so that's what we'll explore together. The command to keep the Sabbath is the fourth of the tenth of the Ten Commandments. And in it, God says that you've got to rest one day out of every seven. Jews observed the Sabbath from sunset on Friday until sunset on Saturday. And during that time, they would cease from their labor. Which sounds like a really good thing, right? This is like an incredible gift. Rest. You don't have to work all the time. You work six days and you get to rest on the seventh day. It's an extraordinary gift, but it's also a command. And how do you know if you're keeping the command? How do you know if you're obeying what God's law requires? See, what counts as work? It's probably safe to say we shouldn't do a lot of strenuous manual labor on the Sabbath. We shouldn't leave, uh, we, we should leave the toolkit in the shed But what about other less obvious activities? What about walking the dog? What about walking, period? Like, is that work? And see, to answer questions like these, the religious leaders of the day added to the command to rest all kinds of specific rules and regulations and extra details. The tradition of the rabbis listed 39 different kinds of work that must be avoided on the Sabbath, including picking grain which is the issue in the first part of this passage. Also, there was a regulation prohibiting healing on the Sabbath. A person could be helped, but only in the case of a life or death situation. Work could be done only if it was absolutely necessary to save a life. And so along comes Jesus, and he's clearly violating these regulations that had become part of the tradition. He and his disciples are picking and eating grain. You're not supposed to do that. And he's healing this guy's withered hand. This guy's life is not in danger. Jesus should just wait and heal him the next day. And so on one level, it looks like Jesus is simply showing us that the Sabbath doesn't really matter that much. Unfortunately, this passage is often read in that way. Jesus and his disciples violated the Sabbath, and so so Christians today no longer need the Sabbath. But is that what this is saying? No, look, the Pharisees asked Jesus, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus could have said something like, well, I'm the Lord of the universe. And so I have the authority to break the Sabbath if I want to. He he could have said something like, because of who I am, the Sabbath just doesn't apply to me. But that's not what he says. What he says is, I am Lord of the Sabbath. You see, he's not setting the Sabbath aside. He's actually intensifying it. He's saying, the Sabbath is what I'm all about. Which means if we want to understand Jesus, 
We have to understand the Sabbath. And if we want to understand what the Sabbath is all about, we have to understand Jesus. You can't understand one without the other because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The fourth commandment about keeping Sabbath is the only one that is grounded in God's creation of the world. Genesis says that God created in six days and rested on the seventh which is a strange thing to say, right? What does that mean? That God rested? Was God tired? Was he just really wiped out after doing all the work of creation? Well, probably not. I mean, for one thing, it doesn't look like he was even working that hard. He just spoke the words and, and things popped into existence. But also, uh, it, it just doesn't really make sense to talk about God getting tired. God doesn't need physical and mental rest. So, so what does it mean to say he rested on the seventh day? It must mean something like uh, he was deeply satisfied with his work. He was so satisfied with it that he could leave it alone and just enjoy it. He could stop. He could say, it is finished. He could step back and say, this is good. God was satisfied with his work, and so he rested. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's about the deep, satisfied rest of God, and it's about are sharing in it. Remember, God created us in his image. He created us to work, but he also created us to rest. He created us to work and rest, just like he worked and rested. Remember the Sabbath, because in six days, God says, I worked, and then on the seventh day, I rested. The need for Sabbath, the need for this rhythm of work and rest is just built into us. It's part of what it means to be human. We must work, but we... but. We must rest just as important as the working is the resting. We must labor, but we also must stop. We must cease from our labor. I wonder, family, do we know how to do that? How many of us are able to really rest from our work? It's like we've forgotten how central the Sabbath is to our flourishing as human beings. And we think we can go without it. We treat it like the optional one of the Ten Commandments. More of a recommendation, really. What makes Sabbath keeping so hard for us? You know, part of the problem, I imagine, is cultural. In our culture, identity is totally wrapped up in work, it seems. When we meet people for the first time, one of the very first questions we ask is what? What do you do? People are always asking kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the answer we expect when we ask kids this is not something like, I want to be a humble Christ-like human being. No, we expect something like firefighter or astronaut. Who they will be is entirely wrapped up in what job they will have. If I were to ask the question, who are you? One of the first answers to come to your mind would probably be about your work, what you do. I'm a professor, I'm a nurse, I'm a teacher, I'm a social worker. See, our sense of identity is wrapped up in our work and as a result, our sense of value and worth is so often wrapped up in what we've accomplished. And so we're always comparing ourselves to others. We're a culture that takes pride in being busy. So much so that it's hard to imagine another way of being in the world. But there are other ways of being in the world. What would it look like to rest? I mean, really rest. What would it look like to have Sabbath rest? Rest in which we can really cease from our labor. Isn't it interesting that God creates humanity on the sixth day and then the seventh day is a day of rest? It's like we've just arrived on the scene. We're ready to get stuff done. 
And God says, no, start by doing nothing. Start by ceasing, by stopping, by resting. Start by recognizing that you are not the ones on whom the world depends. Walter Brueggemann puts it like this. Sabbath means desisting from the frantic pursuit of securing the world on our own terms. It's the practice of letting life rest safely in God's hands. Close quote. See, at one level, our problem with keeping the Sabbath is physical. Like we just don't get the rest we need. We work more than humans are meant to work. So we don't sleep as much as we ought to sleep and our bodies bear the burden of our failure to rest. But you know this, the problem goes much deeper. Judith Shulevit is a Jewish American journalist who has written about the Sabbath. And she says that when you really keep the Sabbath, quote, the machinery of self-censorship shuts down, stilling the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach, close quote stilling the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. That's an extraordinary line, isn't it? My guess is that's something we're all too familiar with, the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. I mean, that, that's like the white noise of our souls. Beneath all of our working and striving and performing and accomplishing and doing is this nagging voice that says, it's not enough. Not enough. Not good enough. All that we've accomplished is not enough. We don't measure up. And, and you know that just feeds the striving. We think that we can still the eternal murmur by working harder, by working better, by doing more, by accomplishing more, by achieving more. But then you glance to your left or right, and there's the family whose kids are doing better than yours, going to a better college. And there's the guy who has gotten one more outstanding performance award, and your neighbor's house is a little bigger and his car is a little shinier. And deep down, you can hear the murmur of self-reproach telling you you're not okay. Telling you you haven't done enough. You see, family, the problem is not simply that our bodies are tired. The problem is that our souls are weary. And you see, because the problem is so deep, it's not the kind of thing that can be fixed with more naps or better vacations. It's not the kind of thing we can address by watching more Netflix. In vacations and naps can help you ignore the inner murmur, but they can't still it. Netflix can distract you from the inner murmur, but it can't give you the deep rest your soul needs. Well, along comes Jesus eating on the Sabbath, healing on the Sabbath. Is he breaking the Sabbath? violating the Sabbath? No. You see, he's revealing its true purpose. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm the one who can give you the deep rest your soul really needs. In Hebrews chapter four, we read this, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now that's about Jesus. The Lord of the Sabbath is the one who provides the deep Sabbath rest our souls so desperately need. We need to rest from our physical labor, but more than that, we need rest from our spiritual striving. 
And the only one to do that, the only way to do that uh, is to trust Jesus, to throw ourselves on his goodness and grace. And the invitation is here. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Like you can rest from your work. Everything coming at us from the world and the religious impulse in our own hearts will tell us that that's not true, that that's a lie. We can't rest from our work. Externally, we'll receive messages that encourage us to keep defining our worth and value according to our work. And internally, the eternal murmur will tell us to keep working, to keep striving. Don't rest, because if we do, we'll never measure up. You can't rest because what you have is not enough. Here's how one writer puts it, quote, the lie the taskmasters, both real and imaginary, want you to swallow is that you cannot rest until all your work is done and done better than you're currently doing it. But the truth is that work's never done and never done quite right. It's always more than you can finish and less than you had hoped for. Close quote. See, just let that sink in. Can we look this truth square in the face? We will never be able to do enough. We will not accomplish enough and achieve enough. Our work will always be incomplete and less than fully satisfying. And then one day we will die. And we will die not having measured up. We will die unfinished. And not only that, but when we die, we will come face to face with God and we will find that we simply are not sufficient. We won't be good enough. We won't have done enough. We will not have measured up. And so what do we do in the meantime? We stop. We cease from our labor. We rest. That same author goes on. He, he says, quote, the rest of God, the rest God gladly gives is not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It is sheer gift. It is a stop work order in the midst of work that's never complete, never polished. It's the rest we take smack dab in the middle of tasks and chores without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us we could. Close quote. See, family, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's about trusting in the finished work of Christ on our behalf, not just believing it in our heads, but embracing the goodness of it in our souls. Trusting in the finished work of Christ, what does that mean? Well, look again at our passage. Look at this second story about the man with the withered hand. See, the Pharisees are watching to see if Jesus is going to heal this guy, and Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're trying to do. He knows that they actually want him dead. They want to destroy him on the Sabbath. He asks, which is lawful, to save a life or to destroy it. See, Jesus is trying to get the religious leaders to examine their hearts. But Jesus is doing something else. In fact, he's already done it. He did it as soon as he called the man with the withered hand to come forward. Do you know what Jesus did? He linked his fate together with the fate of that man. Because as soon as that man comes forward, Jesus is either going to heal him or not. And if he doesn't heal him, the man will go on living with his disability and Jesus will go free. If he does heal him, the man will have a new hand 
but what will happen to Jesus? See, which is lawful, to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? Jesus looks around at the religious leaders and he's letting those words sink in. And then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man did so and his hand was restored. And then we read this. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus, how to destroy him. You see, Jesus' compassion is costly. He heals the man, but healing the man takes him another step toward the cross. What does this have to do with the finished work of Christ? Well, Jesus didn't only link his fate to the fate of this man. He linked his fate to yours and to mine. And in a way that goes infinitely deep. The Lord of the Sabbath has lived for us and has died for us. And in his life as a human being, he loves God with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loves his neighbor as himself. He loves in all the ways we fail to love. This is the work you and I are made for, the work we so often fail to do. Jesus is doing it for us. And in his death, He takes the sin and the shame and the guilt and he removes it from us as far as the East is from the West. You see, family, our work is never enough, but his is. On the cross, what does Jesus say? He says, it is finished. What's finished? The real work. Everything needed for our forgiveness and redemption and salvation. Everything needed for our security and satisfaction and joy. Everything needed for our standing and right relationship with God. See, we don't have to prove ourselves because the one Lord that matters looks at us and loves us. We can rest not because our work is finished, but because his is. And it is finished for us. It is finished in a way that counts for you and me. If God can rest, family, maybe we can too. How are you doing with keeping the Sabbath? I mean, do you see that the need for this is in your DNA? When we neglect this, we're neglecting something our souls desperately need. Maybe Sabbath keeping is something we actually need to strive for. That's what the author of Hebrews says. He says, let us strive to enter the rest. It's like it takes work to keep the Sabbath. It takes work to enter into the rest that the Lord of the Sabbath offers. But it's a restful work. It's a life-giving work. It's the work of stopping and trusting and believing the gospel and rejoicing in the goodness of Jesus. It's the work of letting Jesus replace the inner murmur of self-reproach with his inner voice of love. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. May that be true for us today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.